The following is a message from Wellsprings Congregation. Good morning, Wellsprings. It's good to be with you again. To start today, I'm going to play a little bit of fill in the blanks with you. You can put your answers in the chat if you want, but this is actually going to go pretty fast, so maybe just kind of follow along in your mind and see if you know what I'm getting at. Oklahoma, where the wind comes, fill in the blank. And the wave in wheat can fill in the blank if you know it. When the wind, fill in the blank if you know it. If you've got what I'm getting at here, maybe you, like me, was taken to an awful lot of Broadway musical revivals when they were a kid. And maybe you, like me, however you came to know it, really enjoys speaking the idiom of the great American Broadway musical. Back then in the 70s and 80s, I can't say I was happy all the time when my parents took me to all of these revivals. There were plenty of times in which I would have rather been doing other things. But looking back, I consider myself incredibly fortunate that my parents invested the time and the money to kind of give me this sense of exposure to musicals. I cherish it. Which is not to say I cherish all the things about those musicals. In many of these revivals at the time, 70s and 80s, especially through the early 80s, um, you know, revivals were all the rage and kind of looking backward, nostalgia was all the rage on Broadway and a lot of the messages around race and gender from those old musicals, pretty harmful. And then, However, during my lifetime, it seems like the Broadway musical has really reinvented itself, took a turn towards not just telling the stories of the past, but telling more inclusive stories, representing different and more diverse populations. The great American musical has gradually become more, not perfectly so, but more representative of who we are all actually are as people, not just any longer an exercise in nostalgia. So I gratefully speak the idiom of the Broadway musical, and it is one of the things that drew me to today's movie. Now, today's movie, Anna and the Apocalypse, as part of our summer spirit flick series about the stories that we watch on our screens and the meanings that we make and derive from those stories. Anna and the Apocalypse checks so many boxes of kind of genres that I love. Christmas movie? Check. Comedy? Check. Zombie? Check. And yes, musical. Big check. Now, you would be justified I think you would be justified if you have not seen this movie. Comedy, Christmas, zombie musical. This thing is a total goof, right? Ken cannot be serious about this. And I actually went into this movie. I love some B-movie schlock. Fully expecting that's what it would be. But almost from the beginning, I could see that although this is movie, this movie is an Indian, kind of made on a shoestring budget. It is not simply B-movie schlock. 
I could tell right away because of its soundtrack that right from the very beginning just grabbed me with its tunefulness and accessibility and singability. And I have seen this movie three, four times, and I have listened to the soundtrack on Spotify so many more times than that. I just love, I adore this soundtrack. It nails being a musical so well. So so skillfully. And it's even more than just the music that grabbed me. I did not expect to be moved to the point of actual tears by a movie called Anna and the Apocalypse, a comedy Christmas zombie musical. But I have been. I adore this movie deeply. And I think that's because it comes from or aligns with another genre. A genre spoken to by, you know, one of those famous songs there, there is Born to Run by Bruce Springsteen. The sense of needing to get out, to find oneself, to get out into the wider world because the place or the people that we are from just feels too limiting, if not outright harmful to us. I'd like to believe that um, the writers, the people who made Anna and the Apocalypse, knew what they were doing by titling the first song that I'll read you some lyrics from Break Away, because it harkens back to me for another coming-of-age movie called Breaking Away. That was popular in the late 70s, maybe early 80s, when I was a kid, set in Bloomington, Indiana. Kind of a class conflict between the college students and the kids, namely in this movie, the sons of the people who worked in the quarries in Bloomington, the so-called cutters. And the story of one of these young men, one of these young cutters, who needs to find himself beyond the confines of just who he was born to and where he was raised. So the first big musical number, and wow, it is tuneful, and it's called Breakaway. Again, I'd like to believe they were hearkening back to the movie Breaking Away as kind of an homage for what they're trying to do in this movie. One of the main characters sings, As I wake half dead in the same old bed at the dawn of another day, I feel chained and bound to this hopeless town, and I know I must break away. The character who sings that is Anna of the title. Anna, who, when we meet her, when this movie takes place, she is 17, 18, in her final year of high school. Anna, who we can tell just from the very first few frames, cannot wait to get away, that she is born to run, that she yearns to break away that she will have to experience and express some conflict with her dad, who is a custodian where at the high school where she is in her final year of school, who she he really wants her to go to uni, you know, what they call university. This is set in the fictional town of Little Haven, Scotland, but she doesn't want to go to uni. Not immediately yet. She wants to be able to go out and explore and travel the world. And she is not alone in this desire to break away. Other characters sing as well, too. Her friend, Steph, outs and proud lesbian and someone who believes deeply in paying attention to the injustices 
of the wider world and who is driven to a kind of despair that her fellow students in the high school in the town of Little Haven, Scotland, just feel so indifferent to the injustices and inequities of our world. Hannah's best friend, John, who, in a way, and they take great pains to do this well, in a non-toxic masculinity way, has been harboring a love for Anna for many, many years and just has felt not able to express his feelings for her. But again, there's nothing manipulative about it. And when Anna eventually, when he reveals, and she says she loves him too, but not in that way, you don't get a sense that John, although disappointed, as heartbreak is disappointing, is going to respond to that in harmful ways whatsoever. So these are some of the characters who inhabit Anna's orbit. And so as you can tell in the scene that I've set, there's already quite a bit of drama happening in this movie. And then the zombie apocalypse happens at Christmas time, just to add a little bit extra complication. So it's no great stretch to see that the um, zombie genre often has uh, readings of you know what zombies mean. What do they represent? What are they uh, metaphors for? Like in arguably what is the greatest zombie movie of all time, the late 1970s, Dawn of the Dead, the zombies. I mean, it takes place in a mall where the survivors are hiding out, where eventually the zombies get into in Dawn of the Dead. The zombies are seen as kind of a metaphor for kind of crass commercialism, mindless consumerism. Yeah, the zombie genre has exploded since the late 70s in the original Dawn of the Dead. They did a remake, but I don't think that much about the remake, but that's for another message, I guess, at some time. Although it is interesting, as long as I've been doing um, and been preaching as part of Spirit Flicks, this is the first ever zombie movie that I've ever preached on after 14 years of doing this. This is how much I love this movie, if you can't tell already. Um, so the zombie genre is feeling a little tired, a little played out at this point. But there was a zombie movie a few years ago called The Girl with All the Gifts, which the zombies there are a metaphor, an expression, actually, of the consequences of the human devastation of our natural environment and what happens when, what happens when nature evolves and decides to fight back. Then as well, too, of course, there's The Walking Dead, which I don't know is in its 85th season by this point. I know it's not. I think it's 10th or 11th. Uh, to me, and I know you might disagree, send your complaints this way. Uh, to me, the zombies of The Walking Dead are a metaphor for a show that long ago outlived its usefulness. Just my perspective. Hate on me if you want. <laughs> zombies also operate as a kind of metaphor here. Different from in those other movies. The zombies here kind of point to a process of what's known psychologically as individuation. Individuation, which is the process by which we truly become ourselves, not merely a reflection of the places or place or people or community in which we were born and raised us. Individuation, the process of becoming most particularly ourselves. What this movie says, what the zombies are a metaphor here, 
is that individuation, any authentic experience process of individuation is in and of itself a kind of mini apocalypse. Destructive and creative, generative and revealing. This is Anna's story here. How she becomes herself, how she breaks away. And yes, there's comedy in here. At one point she hauls a, uh, uh, a large oversized uh, decorative candy cane that's been driven into the uh, into the ground with a spike at, at the bottom and yanks it out of the ground and, you know, uses it to ward off the zombies. There are comedic moments in this movie. And where Anna and the Apocalypse really gets its power from is that the breaking away is necessary and painful. And that Anna gets her chance to break away. Although in a world that is now unrecognizable to her, and in a way that she never would have expected it would have happened. And the realization of who she is, is true and real for her, as a survivor and as a fighter. There's an interesting thing about falling in love, as I have, with uh, a movie like Anna and the Apocalypse, as an indie that not a lot of people have seen. You know, I've read a lot about it, and something interesting happened. The, the actress... Pretty compelling. The actress who played uh, Anna back in 2017 recently moved here. The view from this side. That's an older Manhattan skyline, but here, lower Manhattan, the Brooklyn Bridge, Brooklyn side, where, where I was born, where I first lived on this earth. Ella Hunt's moved to Brooklyn. And in moving, she revealed in an interview not too long ago in anticipation of Pride Month, that she came to realize that the truth of who she is, is that she is queer. And as she tells her story, you recognize there was some aspect of needing to leave home, of needing to leave her, her native UK, she's English, and coming here to a new place that allowed her to name and claim this really true and deep aspect of who she is. Many of us know, perhaps even some of us have been or are, people who have had to leave home, people or place or religious community or culture, who have had to leave home in some ways to get to know who we really are. Indeed, I think in many ways that is a story that is common to Unitarian Universalism. And what is also true, and maybe we have been this, maybe we are this, or maybe we know people like this. People who became so focused on the act of just physically getting out and getting away that perhaps they did not recognize or it took some time to recognize that the deeper work of breaking away is not just the physical act of getting away, as necessary as that might be. But inadvertently, being just so focused on the geographic relocation exclusively, inadvertently took some pain and shame from where they came from, out into that breaking away self. 
and more healing, more growth needed to happen and occur for these people to authentically become themselves. It calls to mind for me an episode of a couple of years back in Queer Eye from the Netflix show. Um, the Fab Five, they go to Quincy, Illinois for a specific reason. This is where one of the Fab Five, Jonathan Van Ness, whose gender identity is non-binary and whose expression of gender is expansive and inclusive, playful and loving of themselves, Jonathan themselves, and Jonathan's pronoun, they say, are they and he and she. Deeply encompassing, deeply welcoming of aspects of the self. Integrating. Jonathan Van Ness, they, I believe, are so able to be a presence of growth for other people because JVN, as they are often called, has done such work within themselves to heal. And so in this episode of Queer Eye, Jonathan Van Ness and the other four members of the Fab Five go back to the place where Jonathan was from. And if you know anything about Jonathan Van Ness's story, you know it was not easy for them. Survivor of childhood sexual abuse and terrible bullying in high school, the exact high school they're going back to. See, Jonathan Van Ness, they were the first non-female member of the cheerleading squad. And this was not easy for Jonathan. There was harm and hurts that they took with them when they left Quincy. Jonathan is also very open about his story of addiction and self-harming and harmful behaviors and his process and her process of healing. So they go back, the entire cast does, to Quincy to help out a teacher, a teacher who was JVN's uh, orchestra and performance teacher, a teacher who for decades, let's put it charitably, has done nothing to kind of update their style. And one of the things we learn is that this teacher, this beloved teacher, Katie Dooley, has been so focused on others, on her students, that she hasn't had a lot of time for herself. And there's a whole other part of this that isn't really developed because it's not totally the, the, the focus of the story. But that also points towards, you know, the inequities that so many deeply committed, devoted teachers have to face of expending vast amounts of time and their own money because their schools are not adequately funded. And like I said, this episode points there, but it doesn't really fully get into the structural inequities. So there's all these fun Breakfast Club, the movie kind of references throughout, and JVN, the survivor of this place. Towards the end, after Mrs. Dooley has had her makeup, and she is really feeling what it's like to 
again, as the show says it, about 45 minutes. It's packaged quite neatly and perhaps a little too neatly, but you do get a sense that this makeover has been really meaningful for her to have all this expression of love and care directed back towards her as she has cared for so many over the years. And Jonathan Van Ness and Katie Dooley sit down and talk to each other. And during this passage, I'm going to read to you, both of them have tears just streaming down their cheeks. And Jonathan says this, Quincy has had, ever since I left, a very particular kind of painful place in my heart. Because as much as I loved being a Blue Devil, that's the mascot of Quincy High, because as much as I loved being a Blue Devil, my experience here was very hard. But one thing you did for me and other kids like me, JVN says, you always treated me the same as if I was like everyone else. And as they say, as an LGBT person, I think so badly we just want to feel normal and not treated differently. And you always did that. JVN again now. I mean, tears. Really moving. Really, really moving. JVN starts to conclude, I just feel like my scars were very much healed this week by being here. You literally saved people's lives as a teacher, JVN says to Katie Dooley, mine included. i got to tell you, I love Anne and the Apocalypse so much that one of the things I really yearn for is a sequel at some point. Another zombie musical about Anna afterward that will continue this story that is sad and moving along with its triumph that she and a few others who make it out know that in addition to the work beginning through individuation, the work all work, our work, all of us who have had the experience of leaving in order to find ourselves. The work really continues of individuating through integrating. Like JVN, all parts of who they are. Like so many of us have chosen to do that work of welcoming all aspects of ourselves and choosing the path of healing and kindness so that we can live fully into the fullness of our being. I don't know, and actually I kind of doubt, whether I will ever get the gift of an Anna and the Apocalypse too. But what I do know is that this work, the ongoing healing and making whole of our lives, this is as real as any work can ever get for all of us. Amen. And may you live in blessing. I ask if you would please join your heart with mine in a brief prayer. divine invitation to wholeness. 
of providing a space of welcome and hospitality and grace within our own hearts for the past and the process of becoming who we are so that we may be able to welcome all parts of who we are. And through this work of great inner kindness and compassion, come to enter that great stream, that stream of healing, becoming not perfect people, but whole people. The kind of work that allows us to recognize that in becoming whole ourselves, we just naturally, through the gift of our presence, invite others to locate that same wholeness within themselves. Amen. And may you live in blessing. If you enjoyed this message and would like to support the mission of Wellsprings, go to our website, wellspringsuu.org. That's wellsprings, the letters uu.org.